And now, friends, today we come to the 29th chapter of Genesis, and if you have your Bible, you'll want to turn there. And we left off in the 28th chapter. You remember this man, Jacob, had to leave home post-haste. In fact, he took French leave. He had to go because his brother was going to kill him. And his mother sent him, together with the father, Isaac, back to Uncle Laban that he might get a wife back there. That's where Isaac had gotten his wife, Rebekah, and so they are sending Jacob back there. And he's on his own. And he's a clever boy, and he's demonstrated that cleverness. And even that night he was so homesick, God appeared to him to comfort him and made these wonderful promises to him, transferred them, the ones he'd given to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Now they are given to Jacob. And then, lo and behold, the next day, if he doesn't make a vow with God and trades with him, and he says, if you'll take care of me and do this for me and bring me back here, then I'll do this for you. Well, believe me, friends, God already told him that. And if it depended on Jacob's faithfulness, I'm afraid he'd never receive very much from the Lord. After all, isn't it all by grace, and that's the way you and I got saved? We never deserved it. If we did, we'd, none of us would ever be saved. Now, over chapter 29, I'd like to write Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And probably the popular title that we ought to put over this chapter is, Chickens Come Home to Roots. Now you'll see, beginning in this chapter, Jacob begins to reap the harvest of his evil doing. And you will also find that this is a universal law of God, that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, if the Bible teaches anything, it teaches that this is true, and it's true in any area of life. You sow corn, you get corn. You sow cotton, you get cotton. You sow wheat, you'll reap wheat. If you sow tares, you'll reap tares. And you'll find out that that runs all the way through Scripture in every field. For instance, Pharaoh slew the male children of the Hebrews. And what happened? Well, his own son was slain by the death angel. Ahab slew Naboth in cold blood, and the dogs licked the blood of Naboth. And Elijah came to Ahab and said, Look, the very same place that dogs licked the blood of Naboth, the dogs are going to lick your blood. And Ahab, I think, rather smiled at that and said, Well, I'll keep away from that place but it just happened to be literally fulfilled. You remember David found that this was an inexorable law that was applicable to his own life in reference to his sin. He committed a sin, a terrible sin. God forgave him, yes, but may I say to you, chickens come home to roost. What you sow, you reap. And his own daughter was raped, and his son slain. Even Paul the Apostle, he felt the weight of this law. He gave his consent to the stoning of Stephen. 
And what happened? Well, Paul was taken outside the city of Lystra and stoned and left for dead. But this man Jacob is really the classic example, and we're going to see that. And I mention all of this at the beginning of this chapter. Now, will you notice, this man Jacob is rather cocky. He has practiced deceit. He would stoop to use methods that were just a little shady to accomplish his purpose. He was proud of his cleverness. And now will you note verse 1, chapter 29 of Genesis. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. Now he leaves Bethel, goes on his journey, and after a period of time, I do not know how long, why he arrived in the land of Haran, and he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. You see, water is a very important item in that country, and still is. There's not too much of it in many places, and it has to be husbanded, and it has to be protected. And so here was the well that they watered the sheep and the people in that area. Now, a certain time during the day, the stone that was on top of the well was removed, and everybody watered their sheep, everybody got the water, and the top was put back down. Now, Jacob arrives there before they take the stone away from the well. And here comes Jacob now, and believe me, he's as cocky as ever. Listen to him. Verse 4, And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And they did, I guess. Jacob didn't, but he's going to get acquainted with him. Verse 6, And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He's well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it's yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. Here, Jacob has just arrived in the land, and he's telling them already how to water their sheep, how they should do. This is typical of him, by the way. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Now, this is a woman's work, by the way, in that day. She was the shepherdess that took care of the sheep. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And frankly, I don't know who told him to do it, but he did it. Whether this was time, I don't know. I doubt whether it was. But after all, Jacob is not really following 
anyone's law except his own. He made the rules for the game as he went through life. That is the first part of his life. But he's got a tremendous lesson that he's going to have to learn, and Uncle Laban is really the one to teach him. And then we find in verse 11, and this has always been a strange verse to me, and Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And frankly, kissing that girl, and why should weep? It's difficult for me to understand other than I'm of the opinion that this boy had had a lonely trip all the way from the moment he left home. He spent that lonely night at Bethel, but he's still trading the next day, and he'd had a lonely trip. You must remember that from Bethel he had to go up by the Sea of Galilee. He had to go up into Syria, and he had to cross that desert there. I suppose he had many experiences along the way. And now to find out that he's arrived at the place he's going, because he knew nothing about it before. And when he got there, he becomes very cocky, of course. He greets these men in a matter-of-fact way, as if he'd known them all their life, asks some questions, and then he rolls the stone away. And whether it was time, I doubt it, but he did. And I imagine that he's so welled up with emotion that when he greeted this girl, Rachel, and he kissed her, and he wept. I suppose that that would be the only way that you could explain it. But I'm sure the next time that he did, he didn't weep. Now, verse 12, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother. And you notice father's brother actually means nephew. The Hebrew does not make a lot of the distinctions that we make today. We've got it reduced down to whether a person is a kissing cousin or not. Well, in that day, they didn't have it. If you're related, you're related, and that means you're a brother. And that's the way that it's translated here, and quite properly so. But he is actually his nephew, that he was her father's brother, and that he was Rebekah's son. And Rebekah was the sister of Laban. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass, when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, and embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house, and he told Laban all these things. I imagine that he had quite a bit to talk about, the trip that he had made, how he'd left home, and how I'm not sure but what he entertained him at dinner with the story of how he tricked his brother, how he got the birthright, and how he got the blessing, how he used trickery to do it, and how clever he was, and probably about that night at Bethel. Well, he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. Laban was convinced now this was his nephew, and he says, you're my relative, <laughs> come in, make yourself at home. And he abode with him the space of a month. Now, he's there for a month. And what happens? Well, he's not working. He's, after all, the nephew that's come from a far country, and he's come over to visit his uncle. 
And I suppose that he felt like he ought to have free board there. And during that time, why, he's been courting this girl, Rachel. At least he's certainly been casting his eyes in that direction. And I think she was casting her eyes in his direction. And now one morning at breakfast, and I think that's when this took place, notice verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? This Uncle Laban is pretty clever. Now, who has said anything about going to work? Jacob hasn't. And Uncle Laban, in a very tactful way at breakfast, he says, Now, Jacob, my nephew, I don't want you to work for me for nothing. I'm going to pay you. (laughs) Well, who said anything about going to work? Uh, Jacob hadn't, but Laban had. And frankly, you don't live with Laban a month without making some sort of an arrangement to pay your board. Uncle Laban was clever also, and he now is going to deal with his nephew. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, we are introduced to another daughter here, Leah. And actually, Uncle Laban has been watching this boy, and he's noted that this boy, his nephews, become very much interested in his daughter, that is, in Rachel, the younger daughter. You can understand why the next verse tells us, verse 17, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And that means, again, here's another very beautiful girl, and that's Rachel. But Leah was tender-eyed, and that's the way of saying she was not so beautiful at all. I remember years ago in college reading in Greek, and especially in some of the plays, for instance, Euripides, you find out that when the fellow wanted to say something very nice about his girl, why, the thing he said to her, that she was cow-eyed, that she had the eyes of a cow. Well, I always laughed at that. To me, I would turn that over before I would decide that was a compliment. But have you ever looked in the eye of a cow recently? Well, the next time you meet a cow, take a look at the eye. They're generally very beautiful. Now, I've never seen a cow that I thought had ugly eyes since I'd read that. And so the way that you would describe in that day a person, that is a woman, she would be cow-eyed, that means beautiful or tender-eyed, mean that she was sort of an ugly duckling. So Laban had these two daughters, and uh, it's obvious now that Jacob is in love with Rachel. In fact, verse 18 reads, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I'll serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And he was quite moon-eyed himself. And so that morning at breakfast, when Uncle Laban suggested he go to work, he had something in mind himself, and he knew the boy was in love with the girl. And so he said, now, what shall your wages be? And Jacob said, well, if you don't mind, I'd be willing to serve you seven years for Rachel. And this man Laban is for 
driving a pretty hard bargain. And that's what he does. And Laban said, It's better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. That'll be all right with me if you'll serve me. And this is about one of the loveliest things that's said about Jacob. Frankly, the only part of this man's life in the early part of it that has anything in it that's beautiful or fine or noble is his love for Rachel, and that is outstanding. Listen to this, verse 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. You can see this man working. I tell you, Uncle Laban had him working, and he did many things. Worked out in the cold, out in the rain, out in all sorts of weather. But he always thought of that girl, Rachel. And there she was to meet him and to greet him. And he's in love with her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening... Now, notice what Uncle Laban's doing. This is a dirty trick, that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. Now, at the marriage ceremony in that day, the way that it was done, the woman was veiled, entirely veiled. You couldn't see her at all. And so poor Jacob didn't see the girl he's getting until he got in the tent, and he lifted the veil. And lo and behold, it wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. And I wonder if that very moment when he saw he'd been tricked, I wonder if he didn't recall something that he was the younger and he pretended to be the elder to deceive his own father. And he deceived his father, and that's the reason he had to leave home. And he got the blessing, and it was a good trick that he had pulled. But you see, God doesn't go in for that type of conduct. God doesn't approve of it. God had promised him the blessing, but he's got to get it God's way. And so what happens? Well, the thing that happens is just simply this, that chickens are now coming home to roost. He pretended to be the elder, and he was the younger. Now he thinks he's getting the younger, and he gets the elder. Chickens are indeed coming home to roost. And what happened? came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter, brought her to him, he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for a handmaid. It came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And my, I tell you, when the tables are turned, this becomes an awful thing. In fact, it's a criminal thing that he's done. But notice how Uncle Laban passes it off. Uncle Laban is an expert, friends, at this type of thing. And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Uncle Laban said, Well, there was a little matter a little clause in the contract. In fact, it was that which was in fine print, Jacob, and I forgot to call your attention to it. There is a rule in the country that the elder daughter must marry first. 
and the younger daughter can't marry until the elder daughter is married. And I forgot to tell you that, and that's the reason that it worked out as it did. Well, I tell you, a man served seven years here. And now notice Uncle Laban is prepared to be very generous in his dealings. He says, fulfill her week. And that week, you see, seven years. And we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. Now, don't come along, friends, anyone, and say, well, look, here this man's going to have two wives, and it looks like God approved of it. Well, why do you think God approved of it? The record here is inspired because this is what happened. But that doesn't mean God approved of it. In fact, as in the case of Abraham taking Hagar, the entire story, the whole incident, reveals that God disapproved of it. And it's recorded because it is a fact. Now, Jacob did so, verse 28, fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, Billa, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel. And he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. Believe me, Uncle Laban is getting his money's worth, is he not? And poor Jacob is really going to school. But he has two wives, and he shouldn't have them. He'll be in trouble before it's over. Now, if you have your Bible, turn there. Verse 30 of chapter 29 of Genesis. And he went in also under Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. You see, this man Jacob, we saw last time, was totally deceived by his uncle. His uncle promised him that he would give him Rachel if he would serve seven years. And he served those seven years faithfully. And what did he get? Well, he got Leah. And believe me, he got the short end of the stick. Poor Jacob was certainly disappointed. And after all, you must recall that he put one over on his father, and he shortchanged his own brother. He pretended to be the elder when he was the younger. Now he's given the elder when he thought he was getting the younger. So he has to serve now seven more years. And he's learning that chickens do come home to roost, and that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, Uncle Laban made him serve twice as long as he originally agreed to, and that was long enough. But believe me, this is a long time. Fourteen years he served. And that gives him now two wives, somebody says. And that's right. And somebody else is going to say, well, it's in the Bible. God must approve of it. Now, God doesn't approve of everything that's in the Bible. That may startle some of you, but God didn't approve of the devil telling a lie. God didn't approve of David telling a lie. And God didn't approve of David's sin. He judged him for it. But the record is inspired. And the thing that's inspired here 
are not the thoughts. The thing that's inspired here is the record or the words. And this is an accurate record that he did have two wives. And this is the way it came about. And that's where inspiration comes in, friend. It doesn't mean God approved of everything that's in the Bible. God disapproved of this. And let me say this to you. This man had plenty of trouble in his family from here on out. And it all goes back, of course, to his own methods that he had used, which God could not approve. Now, in verse 31 and 32, and let me read them. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And so Leah is a pretty sad person because she knows that her husband loves her sister more than he loves her. And now she becomes the mother of Reuben. And that must have brought joy to her heart because he's the eldest son. He was not the one in the line that was to lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, the one that's to lead to Christ will be Judah. And that was the last son that Leah had. You see, Leah had four sons. She had Reuben. And then in verse 33 here, she had Simeon. Verse 34, the record that she had Levi. And so actually, she had some of the outstanding boys of the twelve sons of Jacob. And the fourth son in verse 35 here is Judah. And out of Judah is the one that is to furnish the kingly line. David was in this line, and then later on, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, according to the flesh, he came in the line of Judah. And Levi was the priestly tribe. And Reuben lost his position as the firstborn, you'll recall, because of his sin. Now we have here these four boys that were the offspring of Leah. And when we come to chapter 30, why again we begin to see that God is moving in spite of the man's sin, this man, Jacob. Not because of it, but in spite of it. And we find that this man, Jacob, now is disturbed. Let me read chapter 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. You see, a woman in that day was disgraced, unless she did have offspring. And the more, well, the more she had, maybe not the merrier, but the more the better it was for her. That is... Her position. Now notice verses 2 and 3. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold my maid Billa, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. Well, again we see this was the practice of that day. And you will recall, I'm sure, 
Those of you following this study that Abraham and Sarah practice it, and God did not approve it then, and he's not going to approve it here. The record is here, and it's an accurate record, but it doesn't mean God approved it. In fact, it's quite obvious that God disapproved it. My, the strife that we've already called attention to that was in the family of Abraham, was in the family of Isaac, as we saw. Now it's in Jacob's family already, and he's in for a great deal more trouble. Now we find that Billah was Rachel's maid, and she bared Dan and Naphtali. And then we find that Zilpah, the maid of Leah, bore Gad and Asher. So we have here, well, another, Issachar. And we find, I'm not reading these verses in this chapter, as you see, just a record of the birth here of these boys. You'll remember that there were twelve sons of Jacob, and they're very important because from these twelve sons will come the twelve tribes of Israel. That is, the nation will come from them. Believe me, Jacob had his hands full with these twelve boys. We find also that there's a girl there from Leah's maid. Her name was Dinah. And I guess she served a good purpose, because there are a lot of restaurants today named Dinah's Shack or Dinah's Dining Room or something. And so she did serve a good purpose. And Issachar and Zebulun are mentioned here also. Now, I'm going to read in verses 22 here. Well, I'll read down to 24. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Now, this is the boy that will follow down into the land of Egypt and make way for the rest of his brethren later on. He's quite remarkable. Uh, we'll have to save that story of him until another day, but it's coming up, you can be sure. Now, verses 25, And it came to pass, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go into mine own place, into my country. Give me my wives, my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service, which I have done thee. Well, this is quite remarkable here, by the way, because we're going to see that this man Laban had really mistreated his son-in-law and his nephew Jacob. And listen to Uncle Laban here. You see, he's not going to be through. You can be sure of that. Jacob wants to get away. And now Uncle Laban says in verse 27, And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Now, this is something quite interesting. This was something that you will recall that Abimelech, king of Gerah, found out when Isaac was in his midst. He was blessed because of his presence. And this is something now that Uncle Laban has discovered that God is with Jacob, and he's blessed him. And Uncle Laban said, Now, look, my boy, don't rush off. Don't leave me. Just hang around. And I've been blessed, and I want to raise your wages. I'll pay you more. Listen to him in verse 28. And he said, 
Appoint me thy wages, and I'll give it. And I tell you, Jacob ought to know by now that any time Uncle Laban made a deal, that he was the one that came off the winner, and not the other fellow. But Jacob's learned the lesson. Jacob wants to leave. Uncle Laban says, I'll pay you more. And now he said to him, Thou knowest how I've served thee, and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it's now increased unto a multitude, and the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now when shall I provide for mine own house also? In other words, listen to Jacob. You talk about a man complaining. He's really, he's singing the blues. In other words, he's saying here, all I've got out of all of this service for you are two wives and two maids, maids to the wives, and I've got a house full of boys. In fact, he's got 11 boys now. Now, what in the world is he going to do? How's he going to feed them? And he says, God blessed you and he prospered you, and I don't have anything. In other words, you're the one that's prospering and I'm not. And now Jacob says, and will you listen to him? Verse 31, he said, What shall I give thee? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. I'll pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. In other words, the pure breed will be Laban's, but that which is just a half-breed are not breeds at all that are not blue-ribbon cattle. I'll take those if you'll give them to me. And that's all that you'll need to do. These are the off-breeds. They were not purebred by any means. And he said, you let me have these, that, that'll be my wages. Now, that sounds like a pretty good proposition. Verse 33, now, and let me read, "...so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face, every one that's not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me." And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. And he removed that day the he-goats that were ring-straked and spotted, and all the goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave them into the hand of his sons. In other words, they would not be able to breed with the others. Jacob would take that which is the off-breed, and only the full-breed would bear, and that would belong to Uncle Laban, but the others would be his. He's making here a very interesting deal. And the way that it worked out is quite interesting. And I want to read this, because this has been criticized. Verse 36, "...he set three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob." 
And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. And Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and peeled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had piled before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink that they should conceive when they came to drink. Well, there have been several explanations of this. There are those that say this is nothing in the world but just pure superstition. And others say it's just old wives' tales, and this is certainly something that ought not to be in the Bible record. I think probably it should be in the record. In fact, it's my judgment it should be in the record. It's very important that it be in the Word of God. And the fact of the matter is, this is not superstition. There are several explanations. Now, I'm of the opinion that there are those that today have been able to ascertain that this does have an effect upon those that are bringing into the world animals. And certainly, what a woman sees in time of pregnancy and her experience during that time has a tremendous effect upon the child. And today the psychiatrists and psychologists makes a great deal of it. Well, it affects the animal world also. Now, I do not intend to go into that particular phase of it, but there are things that, frankly, I can't explain. And I don't know that anybody that can explain them. If they can, they ought to explain them to me, because I'm in the dark. I remember in our community where I lived as a boy in southern Oklahoma, there was one of these men that would take a forked stick and tell you where there was water. And everybody in our neighborhood, when they wanted to drill a well, they called for him. He came along with a forked stick, and the interesting thing is that every time they called him in and he picked out a spot they drilled for water where he said, and they got water. Now, I don't know whether they would have got water if they hadn't called him in. I don't know. All I know is that there was a very strange procedure. It sounds superstitious to me, but it seemed to work. I know in many cases it does not work. But I found out that there are a lot of scientific cures today that they give and they don't work. And there are a lot of scientific explanations that don't work. So that just goes to say it, it doesn't work. And in some cases, it does work. And that doesn't prove anything. All I'm trying to say is, don't rule this out as being superstitious. Now, if you want to know the thing that I actually think, both Laban and Jacob believe this is what caused them to be ring-straight. And that's the thing that's important for this story. Maybe you are smart enough not to believe it, but these two boys believed it. And what you must remember, all those cattle were together, and some cattle would produce ring-straight and speckle, and some of the offspring would be white. Now, if they're speckle, some speckle and some not, even that one that's not may bring into the world one that is not. I know that it may use a very homely illustration. I remember we had a cat one time when I was a boy, and that cat was the prettiest, whitest cat that I've ever seen. Now, she had a bunch of kittens, and there were 
a lot of them just speckled, you know, just like the cattle. And several were perfectly white. And lo and behold, in that litter, there was one that was as black as ink. Now, you tell me how he got in there when his mama was a white cat, just a snow-white cat, and here she has a black kitten, and yet others speckled and others white. Well, I know she must have met a black cat somewhere, but I do know this. Why did one be perfectly white and one black? Well, that's what's happening with these cattle. I don't understand all that myself, and I don't propose to try to explain it. All I say is, this is the record that is here. These men believed it, and Jacob is using trickery again, regardless of whether there's value in it or not. He's using trickery. Now, he's been quite a trickster, you can see, but he's met an uncle that's a better trickster than he is. And he's trying now to make a comeback. Well, may I say to you, Poor Jacob, because he came there with just a walking stick, and when he leaves, he leaves with quite a few possessions. Now, God is calling him to leave. And before we leave the chapter, I think probably I ought to call attention to this. It may be mechanical about these boys, but here you have the mention of the eleven sons. And that's important, because these eleven sons are the sons that are going to constitute the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, in chapter 31, Jacob now leaves Laban without giving notice. And he takes French leave, and they don't even have a farewell party. And Jacob and Laban then make a contract not to defend or hurt each other. Then they separate in an outwardly friendly manner. Now, this is a rather lengthy chapter that we've come to. Here it has 55 verses, chapter 31. We're going to save most of it for next time. But here's the other side of the coin. God wants to get him out of that land. He recognizes that the influence there is not good for Jacob and this growing family that's coming along for these boys because these are to be the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. And God is anxious to get them out from that environment and back into Abraham's country, the country he had promised to Abraham. And God now is calling Jacob to return. And you'll notice here as we come into chapter 31, you'll see that Jacob now is getting more than Uncle Laban is getting. And He doesn't like it, and his sons don't like it either. That is Laban's sons. And this man wants now to leave, and he takes Rachel, and Leah meets them out in the field, and they plot to take leave, and they do take leave. And poor Jacob, he's perplexed. He's frustrated. He doesn't know now where to turn. And it's this time that God has called him to leave, and God has called him to leave for the sake of his family, the boys, the children there, that they should not stay in that environment. We recognize that we're in a section that God has given to us to minister to our needs, because we're dealing here with a man that was also a very sinful man in many ways and a man that God would not give him up. And you can take courage from that. The Lord will never give you up. As long as you'll keep coming to him, he'll keep receiving you. And if he'll take a fellow like Jacob, 
and a fellow like I am, then he'll take any of us. I'm of the opinion. And let's now come here. You will recall that Jacob now has had a pretty sad ordeal of 20 years with Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban has really given him a course in the college of hard knocks. And poor Jacob is now beginning to wince under all the pressure that he's been under. And he senses now that God has prospered him so that the face of Laban is turned against him and also the sons of Laban. And Jacob now has a call from God. God tells him to leave. And he calls his wives, Rachel and Leah, together that he might talk to them about it. And he tells them that which is on his heart. And in verse 7, as we left off last time, he says, And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Now is Jacob beginning to complain? I think so. And we're going to see that later on in this chapter. Now will you notice, he goes on to explain to these wives that they'll understand of actually what has happened, that the thing that he has done has in it the element of not trickery, but of taking advantage of his opportunity in a business way. I don't want to say he's dishonest here, because I don't think that he is. He's been dishonest in so many things, but I think here he was just using a method that I'm sure any businessman would have used, and it would have been legitimate. He's certainly not hurting Laban at all. But God has blessed him to the extent that Laban now and his sons become very jealous of him, and they hate him. And you'll notice as he goes on to explain all of this, he tells now actually why he wants to leave. Because he says in verse 11, of Genesis 31, "...and the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see. All the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee." Now, probably you thought last time, that I was not giving a satisfactory answer to what had taken place, because I recognize that there are several explanations of why these animals were speckled. But I was waiting till we could get right here, because why were they that way? God says I did it. May I say that I therefore don't need to look for these natural explanations, although I'm confident that God probably used one of them. But since God didn't tell me which one it is, I'm of the opinion that we don't know. There are several explanations, and you can take the one you want, but I like this one. God says, I saw what Laban was doing to you, and I blessed you. Now, verse 13, and this is what's important. I am the God of Bethel. Now, you see, God goes back to where he appeared to this boy when he was running away from home, his first night away from home that he spent at Bethel. And he says now, I'm the God of Bethel. 
where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. Now, God wants him out of that land because he's got 12 boys that are growing up and they're already beginning to learn some things that they should not be learning. And they are there in the place of idolatry and heathenism. And so God wants to get Jacob and these boys away from there just as he got Abraham out of a home of idolatry. Now, will you notice verse 14? And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion of inheritance for us in our father's house? In other words, they're saying, Well, certainly, as the daughters of our father, we should receive some inheritance, and that ought not to cause him to be so antagonistic. And verse 15, Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. Old Laban can't be trusted, friends. And you know that today, unfortunately, there are many Christians that the way they handle money, their own and others, reveals the fact they can't be trusted either. That is, I think, maybe a real test of an individual today. I could tell you some stories that would make your hair stand on end, the things that Christians do, Christian leaders do, they ought not to do. Now will you notice, verse 16, "...for all the riches which God hath taken from our Father, that is ours and our children. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do." I admire these two women. They say, whatever you want to do, Jacob, you go ahead. We're with you. And our Father has apparently robbed us. Let me read verse 17. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. He carried away all his cattle, all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Paden Aram, for to go to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep. And Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. Let's just stop there a moment, because there's a revelation here of something that's quite interesting. Now, Jacob rises up and leaves post-haste again. You remember, that's the way he had to leave his home. Now, he leaves his uncle Laban the same way. And actually, it's not all his fault here. But it was his fault when he had to leave his own home. But he's prepared for this. After all, he's had practice in leaving overnight. And so he has all the cattle and everything ready to march, ready to get out of that land. And his wives apparently didn't have a chance to even get many of the things that were theirs. But notice what happened. Rachel stole the images that were her father. I told you we were in the home of idolatry. God didn't want the boys brought up there. But you see, Rachel has been brought up in a home of idolatry. And she felt like she wanted to take her gods with her. What a primitive heathen notion she had. 
Poor Jacob thought he ran away from God when he went to Bethel. God appeared to him there. And he found out you can't run away from God. In fact, David wrote about that. David said, Though I make my bed in Sheol, why, I don't get away from God. Death won't separate you. Though you go to the height of heaven, you'll never get away from Him. And you can't get away from Him but going to the moon. You just don't get away from God. That's all. She, though, wanted to take these images that had been in the home. Now notice verse 20. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. Now, he waited until Laban went out to shear sheep, probably. He went quite a few miles away from home because the sheep grazed on a very large area in that day, and they still do for that matter. It takes a great area to feed them. And so this man Laban is away from home. While he is, Jacob just forgot to tell him he was leaving, that he was going. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey. And they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. You see, they're moving now quite a distance. They've come uh, apparently all the way here to Mount Gilead, which is just on the east of the Jordan River. And it means that Laban has really been traveling fast to overtake him. And Laban doesn't mean any good as far as Jacob is concerned. I'm of the opinion he was angry enough to kill him and would have killed him had not God intervened. Verse 24, And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, neither good or bad. In other words, you be very careful what you say and do. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And now listen to Uncle Laban. He's a clever rascal, by the way. Here he's been coming, breathing out fire and brimstone, wanting to not only recover all these possessions of Jacob and take them back, but probably kill Jacob and take back the, his two daughters and their children. But God had to intervene to protect this boy. Now, will you notice verse 26? My, how clever he is here. He's a real diplomat, by the way. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done, that thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? My, that ought to make Jacob feel pretty bad that he had run away like that. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me? And didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs and with tabret and with harp? Why, Uncle Laban says, I would have given you a wonderful send-off party. I would really have had a great celebration and we would have given you a fond farewell. That's what he's saying now. I don't think he would have done it. 
and listen to him. My appeal's now to sentiment. Verse 28, "...and hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters." The sons would be those twelve grandsons there, and they're going to be very prominent as far as the history of this world is concerned. "...hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters." Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It's in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesterday night, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban lets him know that he didn't mean good by him, but God had prevented him from doing bad. Now will you notice, verse 30, And now, though thou wouldst needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? <laughs> That's a funny kind of a god to have, isn't it, that you can steal it? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldst take by force thy daughters from me. Now, he's not answering that he had taken the gods. He didn't know that Rachel had taken them, actually. What he's answering is this. Why did you run away without letting me know and giving you a party? He says, I was afraid that if I wanted to go, that you wouldn't let me take your daughters, my wives, and my family, and that which belonged to me. You wouldn't permit it. Verse 32, With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live before our brethren, Discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. You see, Jacob is so sure that they haven't done a thing like this. And if you think Laban believed Jacob, you're wrong. He didn't believe him. Jacob didn't believe Laban either. They had no confidence in each other. That had been a nice, pleasant little twenty years, had it not. Now notice, and Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. And I expected one of his daughters to be the one that got them. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images, put them in the camel's furniture, and sat upon them. Quite a clever girl herself, isn't she? She's sure a daughter of a father. And she had taken them and put them in the camel's furniture, that is, that which went on the camel's back. And then she sat down on them. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said to her father, listen to her now, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. Why? Well, she's sitting on them. She says, I'm sorry, but I can't get up. Don't feel well today. And she's sitting on them. May I say this is truly a very realistic setting that's given to us here of this family. Now, will you notice verse 36? And Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? And now, oh, Jacob gets a little confidence because they doesn't locate these images, and he's sure that they're not anywhere around. And frankly, he just now wants to rebuke the man 
his father-in-law that's come after him. Now will you listen to his complaint? Here is the course that he passed, and he's now getting his college degree, his degree from the College of Hard Knocks. And will you listen to this here? Verse 38, This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. In other words, he didn't even get his meals. He had to pay for that. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it, of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. And he couldn't even get any insurance. When a lamb was stolen or killed by a wild animal, why, Jacob had to pay for it. Believe me, this Laban, he's a hard taskmaster, is he not? Now listen to him, verse 40. Thus I was in the day the drought consumed me. He didn't get a vacation in summer. And the frost by night. And when it got cold, he still had to stay out with the sheep and with the animals. And my sleep departed from mine eyes. Many nights he had to watch to protect the flock. Now listen to him, verse 41. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Here's what's happened to this man. Here is the man that was clever, and this is the man that thought that he could get by with it. But actually, he didn't get by with it. God didn't let him get by with it, because, frankly, God has made it very clear. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Jacob refused submission to God at home, and he now has to submit to his uncle. Jacob came to receive a wife and dignity, and he was made a servant, because God respects the rights of the firstborn. And Jacob deceived his father, and he's deceived by his father-in-law. Jacob the younger became the older. He found out that he was given the oldest when he thought he's getting the younger. He revealed a mercenary spirit that displayed in the way he got the birthright. And Jacob allowed his mother to cover his hands with the skins of kids of goats. And later on, we're going to see his own sons deceived him in the same way. They killed a goat and dipped Joseph's coat of many colors in it. He deceived his father about being the favorite son, and he was deceived about his favorite son, Joseph. God says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now he leaves Laban. They bid each other goodbye, and they're going to make a contract. Let me read now verse 42. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou had sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands, and rebuked thee yesterday night. Now, Jacob has his day in court, and he lets Laban have it now. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, these children are my children, these cattle are my cattle. 
and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters or unto their children which have been born? Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou. Let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones. And now they make a contract. Verse 48, And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galeed and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we're absent one from another. And this has been used by young people's groups as a benediction in other groups. And I don't think it ought to be used that way because this is actually a contract between two rascals that they're going to quit stealing from each other and work on somebody else. The Lord watch between me and thee. In other words, may the Lord keep his eye on you so you won't steal from me anymore. That's exactly what these men are saying. Now they're going to separate, and they do separate, and we're going to see the great experience in the life of Jacob next time in chapter 32.